to to give you praise, to give you worship, to acknowledge who you are, acknowledge what you've done for us, uh, to to honor you today. Open our hearts, Lord, as we as we study your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, I asked my wife yesterday, uh, last night, what comes to your mind when I say the word honor? And she had a wonderful answer, actually. She, uh, she said, it makes me think of a soldier uh, who is, is uh, going to war to serve, uh, to serve, the, serve our country. And the the sacrifice that uh, is inherent in that decision to uh, to go and be a soldier, and I said, "Well, I guess you're holier than me," because my first thought when I heard the word, my first picture in my head when I heard the word honor was a Klingon. So I guess I'm I'm outing myself as the as the nerd in the family. <laughs> But kind of, uh, it actually, the reason why that occurred to me was just because probably we had just watched uh, an old Star Trek episode a while back. And if you're not, uh, if you're not into that kind of thing, and back in the early days when the franchise first started, the, the Klingons were the enemies. And then in the movies, we made friends. And then in the, uh, the, the next generation, the stuff that came after that, then uh, you know, we, we, we had a Klingon on the starship, and we started to learn a little bit about, uh, you know, they started having this whole thing about who, who they were and kind of got into their culture a little bit. And we learned that they loved bloody battles and that uh, honor was achieved through battle uh, but honor was also a matter of integrity, and yet they didn't always live up to it. But that is really a, refle- a very human reflection, because our ideas, too, of honor are not so different, and our actions often fail to meet our ideals. But really... Though uh, science fiction is is really about us, we just sort of put it at arm's length, keep it at a safe distance by by putting alien costumes on it. Unfortunately, it's usually, although not always, there are some exceptions. It is usually uh, from an atheist perspective, which leads to the question. Uh, that I have to ask a caution, rather, that I give to myself uh, and other Christian fans, take care what you're feeding on. As much as, uh, as, much as I enjoy the creativity and, and the fantasy aspects of it, it's a godless philosophy very often. And is that really what we need to feed on? Are we honoring Jesus when we spend our time there? But what is, if we, if we look in the dictionary to try to define what 
honor is. There's actually, I've only got a partial list here because it goes on and on and on. As a noun, it's uh, a good name or public esteem, uh, reputation, a showing uh, that's usually merited. It's interesting the way they put it that way. Of, of respect, recognition, uh, a, a person of superior standing. We call judges your honor. Uh, a, an evidence or symbol of distinction, a title or a rank or a badge or uh, a ceremonial right. A, uh, another definition would be chastity or, or purity or a keen sense of ethical integrity, which is, or ethical conduct, integrity being a synonym. That's what I usually think of when I think about honor as a noun. That's where we get the term honest, right? But if we use it as a verb, which is really what we're looking at today, the dictionary definitions are to regard or treat someone with admiration or respect, to regard or treat with honor. Uh, to give special recognition to, to confer honor upon. Okay, that's what we read when we look at our dictionary. But then you've always got to go, okay, how is the, how's being used in the Bible? What, when we read our Bible and we read a word, sometimes, thankfully, we have plenty of modern translations now where it's not quite, uh, it's not quite as challenging as it might have been if, if all we had was the old English from 16-whatever. Um, but it's still sometimes you, you'll read different translations and you'll see people put it different ways because they're trying as best they know how to get that, the true meaning of what that ancient language meant. So here we have a Greek word. And, and and it seems to be pretty much what it mean, what it what it is. Uh, there doesn't appear to be any uh, any ambiguity there. And the the definition of interest would be to honor or to have honor or reverence or, or to revere rather uh, or to venerate. The same word is used. As we're going to be in John chapter 5, uh, I, I, we're going to park there for a little bit unless the Lord says to go somewhere else uh, because there's just so much in there. But it, uh, it, it's the same word that we're going to read here in a few minutes where Jesus is quoting from the Old Testament and he says, honor your father and mother. It's the same word uh, where he says, if anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. It's in John 8.26. Same word is used in uh, the book of 1 Timothy, chapter 5, where Paul is instructing Timothy to honor widows. And then another place says, 
honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. It's from 1 Peter uh, 2.17. So what does it mean to honor God? Because he is, in fact, the one most worthy of it. One might even say the only one truly worthy of it. And yet, the one who least needs it. He doesn't need us to tell him who he is or to give him props. The thing is, we need it. It's needful for us because we need to be reminded, because we need to have an understanding of who it is that we serve. And we desire to do it, even if we don't know that we desire to do it, because it's part of how we're made. We're made to worship. And we're made for relationship with our Creator. And we can choose to reject that relationship, but we're going to worship something. Because that's how we were made. And we may not call it worship, but it will come down to the same thing. So Jesus tells us what it means to honor God. As we get into the word here, the context, we've been going through the book of John, and we're in chapter 5. Jesus has just gotten through healing the sick man at the pool of Bethesda. And the Jewish leaders are all upset uh, because he did this thing on the Sabbath day. And not only did he do this on the Sabbath day, he, he actually gave the man a, a command that in their law broke the, in their mind broke the Sabbath. And so Jesus, then in verse 17, uh, we're going to start in 18, but the last verse that we covered last week was 17. And he says, my father is working until now, and I myself am working. And his claim here is clearly understood by the Jewish leaders. Because the teaching was, first of all, that only during that time that only God could work on the Sabbath. And nobody else was supposed to work on the but God, of course, being God, was exempt from working from, from that command. Uh, and that besides that, he had to work because he had to hold he had to hold everything together. If God stops working, everything stops working. And, you know, that much they had right. But they see Jesus, of course, not as the Son of God, but as a mere man. And for a mere man to say the things that he's saying would be considered blasphemous. And so he has broken their rules about the Sabbath, not God's, by the way, but he's broken their rules about the Sabbath, and he's made such a claim uh, from a mere man, and the law calls for death if you do that. So they're they're ready to carry it out. Not that, not to mention he's he's threat he's a threat to them. So John here continues his revelation of who Jesus is. And we're at a critical point. I call this the Gospel of John uh, the first revelation of Jesus. Because, you know, we have the book of Revelation that John wrote. Uh, but here he is 
uh, augmenting, if you will, what had already been said and, and writing this gospel. And part of the reason, we're going to get into this a little bit more, part of the reason that he's doing this uh, is, I believe, and there's no, uh, uh, I don't know that we have any proof one way or the other of this, but it would seem, based on some of his other writings, that he may have written this in part to combat the, the, the heresy that Jesus wasn't really, uh, couldn't really have been flesh. And, and we still have that teaching today in some, in some sectors. But Jesus couldn't really have been man because flesh is evil and, and spirit is good. And, and so Jesus couldn't have had actual flesh. So John is methodically taking that apart and saying not, not only was he actual flesh, he was actually God. And here it sort of comes to a head and he's going to, uh, Jesus is going to say some things here and then he, we're going to continue to see that worked out through the rest of, of this gospel. The preceding accounts have shown the ever-expanding grace of God as he shows his grace to pro progressively what people would have considered undeserving people. And now every statement that he is about to make proclaims who he is. And the rest of the book will only deepen our understanding. So without me going on and on more, let's go to it. Let's, uh, I'm going to start in chapter 5, verse 18. For this reason, therefore, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because he not only was breaking the Sabbath, but he was also calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Therefore Jesus answered and was saying to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son, cannot do, the Son can do nothing of himself unless it is something he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does... These things the Son also does in the same way. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself is doing. And the Father will show him greater works than these, so that you will be amazed. For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so the Son also gives life to whom he wishes. For not even the Father judges anyone, but he has given all judgment to the Son, so that all will honor the Son just as they honor the Father. The one who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, the one who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. Jesus here begins to identify himself with Father God. And he says, I'm doing the work that he gave me to do. And now this is an interesting statement. 
Because then he says, the son can do nothing of himself. What does that mean if he's, the, if he's God? What is he saying there? Well, now, uh, I've read different ways. That I've seen different ways of, of, of interpreting what's being said here. But I'll tell you what I think, just on first read. And, and I, I'll preface that with this is what I think. Um, Jesus, we know, was fully man. He's fully God, but he was he was fully man. While he was here, he did not cease to be God, but he lived as one of us, of course, without sin. His power came from Holy Spirit and his authority from Father, just like us. And he's, of course, the one who made it possible for us to, to, to operate in that way. But he showed us while he was here how to operate as a man. And so he's saying, without the Father, without the Holy Spirit, I'm just a man. But with the Father, because he is my Father, because in fact I am, as he said previously, he'll say it, he'll say it again later and they'll try to stone him. But he's making it very plain here, especially to those who are hearing him. God is my father, and in fact, as, as, we've, as we've already read, they understood him to be making himself equal with God in making that claim. Jesus was totally submitted also to the Father's will. And the Father loves him. And he shares everything with him. Everything that Jesus did was shown to him by the Father. They had that kind of close relationship. And Jesus is not doing anything that does not continue the work that the Father began. Somebody else made a point that a lot of the things that Jesus did there were, were uh, instant versions of things that God did does normally slowly through the work of nature turning the water into wine and, and turning the uh, 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 performing healing that na naturally happens slowly, but, uh, but he can do it in an instant. I thought that was kind of an interesting observation. I'm not saying it as well as they did. Um, but what they have seen thus far, he's telling them is only the beginning. His teaching is about to seriously disrupt their systems. His miracles are going to prove his words, and the dead will indeed live again. Of course, literally, uh, John records the resurrection of Lazarus, but then through his death on the cross, everybody has the opportunity to experience the resurrection. And in fact, everybody will experience the resurrection, but some to eternal destruction and some to life. He is the life giver and he is the judge. And these, again, are all are attributes that belong to God alone. And so by taking them for, the, for himself, he is saying, in effect, I am. 
And there's a point. There's a point to all this. I'm going to try to wrap it up in the uh, in the conclusion and, and uh, understand why why we we keep going over sort of the same things again. For one thing, the Bible does that. John is going over these things over and over again. He wants to make it really clear and show it in a thousand different ways. But the power of death and life has been given to the Son. And we see that when he raises Lazarus. But he is also the judge. And you know what? He could have condemned us all. And he would have been, it would have been, it would have been uh, nothing more than we deserve. But Father God gave him this authority because the Father knew what he was going to do with it. Our judge took our punishment upon himself. Judgment still remains, but only for those who will not believe and accept. And so he says, honor the son. Now, there were people in his audience who truly desired to honor Yahweh. They were true servants of, of, of the Lord, and they were doing the best that they knew how they, to, to follow the law. There were others who were only serving themselves. But in order, what he's saying here is you want to honor God, you want to honor the Father, the way you do it is you honor me. Yahshua must be honored by all who desire to honor Yahweh. Yahweh has said it himself, and the scriptures testify to this fact. Honor him by believing what he says. And by believing what the Father said about him. And when Jesus is saying all of this, all they have to go on is the Old Testament. New Testament hadn't been written yet. But it's all in there. And this is the path, he says, to eternal life. What, what do we do with this? I, I told you I was going to get here. I eventually will. Uh, what do we do with this? One of the reasons why I think it's important to spend so much time here, even though we're all uh, presumably followers of Jesus and, and, and we all believe, is that there are a great many false religions in the world. And some of the most prominent here in, in, in the West have as their, one of their centralities that Jesus is not really God. So when we are approached by people who say that Jesus is not really God, we need to have it firmly established in our minds, not only that that's not true, but why it's not true. So that when, when the scripture gets twisted and when people say things uh, that, that, that aren't true, we'll be able 
to, uh, to know in our mind and even to respond and maybe even to, to help them see that, that uh, Jesus really is God. And if Jesus really is God, you better pay more attention to what he said, not what you want him to have said. There are many people, there were many people in that, in that time that, that sought the Lord. But on, unfortunately, they had built around the true law and the true things that Jesus and, and that, uh, that God had, had given them through the scripture, the time the Old Testament, they built all this extra stuff around it. And they had turned the true into a false. They had built a false religion around the real one. Elements were added to the law that turned it from a thing that was supposed to, to help you draw close to God into a thing that was oppressive. Jesus says in, in Luke 11.46, he's talking to the lawyers and said, you made all these rules that, that make burdens hard for, for men to bear and you won't even pick it up with one of your fingers. I think that's where we get that saying, won't lift a finger to hell. They claimed a basis in the law, but they distorted it. And the traditions they, that they had even violated the letter of the law. Jesus was talking about that in, in Mark uh, chapter 7. Several other places as well. That's one place you can reference if you want to look at what he said. And so, because they had done this, this generation has lost, the generation then had lost what should have been theirs. And uh, Matthew 21, 43, you can go and read that. But some who seem to retain the traditional Christian belief have done the same thing today. If you go to the church, everything might look familiar. We claim the Bible as our basis for what we're doing, but we take verses out of their context and we make rules out of them. We create rules that are misinterpretations and, and turn freedom into bondage. We turn freedom into oppression. And there are many sin, sincere believers that get misled by this. They've, they've been told that the Bible says something and, and, and they never looked at it for themselves or they never considered the broader context. So a false religion develops around what, what, what is the truth. But false religion might also be considered a matter of practice. We use the term when we're talking about false religion, we usually use the term to 
refer to anything that is not Christian. Or we might use it to refer to the, the, the cults that adopt some of the Christian na uh, nomenclature, uh, but deny the, the central facts of, of the faith. Anything that, uh, that diminishes Jesus. But if we say whatever we profess, if we say one thing and we do another, then we're practicing a false religion. Because we don't really believe what it is that we say we believe. Our beliefs are going to come out in our action. That's why James can say a thing like, show me your faith without works, I'll show you my faith by my works. But the centrality of Jesus' deity is, is of course, what makes Christianity what it is. And a proper understanding of the scripture will lead us to this conclusion. That's why we have people that have chosen to alter and add to the scripture and change it up so it doesn't say uh, what it clearly says. Now there are, and then you know they'll they'll write whole entire other books that are supposed to go with the Bible and, and be treated like the Bible. Now there there are many books that have been written by people that are very that are very helpful. And I, I love reading, and I uh, I don't know how many books are in my library. Of course, it's all digital. So, but uh, I'm reading all the time. I love I love books, and I even even wrote one. And I hope that people are going to find it helpful. The problem comes when we elevate those to the level of Scripture. There is nothing that parallels the Word of God. But we have to know the Word of God in order to spot the counterfeit. And so, how do we go about honoring the Son? We, we call ourselves Christians. That is, people who identify with Christ. So, the ways in which we might honor Him. Give Him His due respect. What does that, what does that mean exactly? Well, first of all, we recognize Him as Lord. When we recognize someone as Lord, that means we do what they say. Honor him with your words. Don't take his name in vain. I'm not talking about cussing, although we ought not do that either. But don't invoke his name lightly or attempt to use his name in ways that he did not intend for purposes that he did not intend, uh, or even falsely without actually believing it, what it is that, 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 we're, that we're saying. Honor him with your deeds. If we have taken his name, we need to act like it. Matthew 5.16 says, Let your light shine before men such in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. 
Amen. We honor him by doing what he's told us to do. What are the, well, what has he told us to do? Well, the thing that immediately popped into my mind, because we've been talking about it recently, is go make disciples. We need to be about making disciples. And I struggle with this too. And the Lord, how do I, uh, where, where do I start? But we all need to be, that's, that's part of God's command to us. And it starts with telling people, but then you do more than just tell them. You stick with them and you help them to grow. And then the other thing that came to mind is simply love each other. Amen. Love each other. Because Jesus said the, reason, the way people are going to know that you're my disciples is if you love each other. And finally, honor him with your heart. You know, we don't, we say that we honor him. And I would hope that we do. But if we honor somebody, let me put it a different way. If we believe somebody is a liar, or we believe that uh, not everything they say is necessarily true, how much honor do we give them? So if we honor Jesus, we better believe that everything he said is true. And we honor him by serving as he served. By forgiving as he forgives. By loving as he loves. His is the power of life and death. To those who will not believe eternal damnation, but to those who are his eternal life. Everything comes down to Jesus. He said no one comes to the Father except through him. So when we have, uh, you know, we have these things going on now where uh they're trying to, these interfaith things, we have one in our area. And, you know, I don't, want to, I don't want to be too critical of that because we need to, uh, we need to be involved with people if we're going to show them truth. And maybe being involved in some of these things is one way to do it. If we can agree to disagree and still work together on things, I don't have any problem with that. But... We need to not lose the fact, sight of the fact that the truth is still the truth. Uh, that Jesus is still the only way. And you might not believe that as a, you know, as a Muslim or a Buddhist or a Hindu or, or, or whatever. We can still work together on a project, but I cannot ever say to you, well, your way will work just as well as mine. It's not true. And if I tell him that, I'm telling him a lie, and I'm damning him to hell. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to tell him the truth. We're, we're, we're supposed to love even our enemies. Certainly we love those that we're around enough to tell them the truth that will save their life if they'll believe it. And I'm preaching to myself, too. I'm not always very good at these things. It's easier to be quiet. 
But we can't be quiet. We've got the answers. We've got the answers that the world needs. There is no other path to life. We can neither, we can neither be enough nor do enough to earn our salvation. It only comes through Jesus. And that's the other thing. That, that, and, and it's the danger that even uh, the people of Jesus' day uh, were, were dealing with. That this idea that somehow if we just do everything right, if, if we can be good enough, we can, we can work our way in. But there is nothing we can do that is going to be good enough to earn our salvation. There is nothing we can be that is going to be enough to earn our salvation. Jesus had to do that for us. Honor Him. Believe Him. Receive Him as Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you gave us so much. You gave us the truth. You gave us yourself, and you are the truth. But you have not left yourself without witness. Your word witnesses to you. Your, your action within our hearts witnesses to you. We know that you are Lord, and we ask for you to help us as we fulfill the mission that you have given us, that we may honor you by doing what you commanded. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.